This podcast was recorded on January 13th of this year. Enjoy. As you hear sounds coming up in your head, thoughts, you simply listen to them as part of the general noise going on, just as you would be listening to the sound of my voice, or just as you would be listening to cars going by, or to birds chattering outside the window. So look at your own thoughts as just noises. This is Billy Hansen, and welcome to another episode of Sauce Talk, a podcast about sports and the mind and trying to live well in general. Today's episode is an interview with Dan Kerkorian. Dan played basketball for Chapman University and is now the associate head men's basketball coach at Chapman, the school that he played for. He is the co-creator of Slap and Glass, which is a popular basketball platform and podcast about coaching and basketball strategy. And their podcast is really great. You should check it out. They've had some really amazing guests like Brad Stevens and Bill Parcells, Jeff and Stan Van Gundy, and Coach Mosley from the documentary on Netflix, Last Chance You. Their podcast is really top-notch and worth a listen. Dan is also a musician who tours around the U.S. and Europe and has released six albums to date. And Dan also teaches a course at, or actually a couple courses at Chapman University on sports, society, and leadership. And so I speak with Dan about how he manages to juggle so many different difficult projects and do such a good job at them, like music and coaching and teaching and podcasting. And I just ask him some questions about how he manages his time and his priorities. We talk about mental health and sports and some of the topics surrounding mental health and sports that he teaches in his collegiate courses. Uh, We talk about his newest album and the themes of his album and his music writing process and some of what he does when he goes on tour. And then I ask him questions about the similarities between creativity in coaching and in drawing up plays and songwriting and creating music and art, and also the similarities and differences between performing in sports versus performing on stage in music. And so it was a really fun conversation. I'm really grateful for Dan coming on the platform, coming on the podcast. And now, without further delay, here is my conversation with Dan Krikorian. Okay, Dan Krikorian, thank you for coming on the podcast. Billy, it's great to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to talk. Yeah, so could you just start by summarizing your own athletic background from maybe youth sports through high school and into recruiting and just take a a brief summary of your own experience as a player? Sure. Yeah, I grew up playing all all sports. I played four sports in high school, uh, track, volleyball, um, basketball, and then I did play football for a year, but, uh, basketball was, was, and has always been my passion. So, um, was lucky enough to, uh, be able to play at the next level, play at Chapman university for four years and then, uh, had a, had a good career there. And then, you know, got myself eventually into the coaching world after uh, a stop in the mutual fund industry for a little while. So that nice, my, my short yeah. history there. 
Nice. Yeah. And um, I, j- I just listened to you on the Hoop Heads podcast recently, and you, you talked a bit about leaving your first job right out of college. Could you retell that story a little bit, like how you originally thought that that was the right thing for you to do and why you ended up choosing to leave that job and pursue something else in coaching? Sure. Yeah. So it, I came out Chapman and I was a business major and I got a, a great job at a mutual fund company, uh, American Funds, which uh, still is a great company to this day. And, you know, after about a year and a half, just realized it wasn't what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Um, and at that time, I was about to put out my second album. I know we haven't got to it yet, but I'm, I'm also a mu- musician. So um, I was going to put out my second album and go on the road for a few months with in support of it. And so finally saved up enough money to be able to uh, leave that and go on the road with my second album for a couple months and see the country. And then when I got back from touring, uh, you know, I, I needed a, a way to continue to, you know, make money and, and figure this whole thing out. And a good friend of mine was the head coach at the time at my alma mater, Costa Mesa High School uh, for basketball. And I had reached out to him about maybe helping or whatnot. And he said, well, hey, how about, would you want to be my JV coach? And um, kind of was history from there as far as getting on the coaching path. As soon as I stepped on the floor that first day of practice as a JV coach, I was I was hooked and I knew that's uh, where I wanted to be. So mm-hmm. I still do music as well, obviously, as coach. Um, I've put out uh, six albums and I've got a seventh coming here soon. And so that's a brief history of uh, that time in my life. Nice. And what what is your music background were you playing instruments way into music as a kid how what is your progression like as a musician you know i didn't play anything growing up i just sang in the shower and annoyed my brothers and sisters and parents (laughs) so that's the that's the extent of my musical background i was always a writer i I loved enjoyed english Mm -hmm. and anything like that when i was in grade school high school and then college so i always really enjoyed writing and so it wasn't until I was a freshman at Chapman and I needed to take some kind of uh, like fine arts credit at Chapman to fulfill my undergrad and uh, just had always been interested in guitar and wanting to learn a little bit. So I took an intro to guitar class my freshman year at Chapman in the spring after our season and just self-taught from there, fell in love with it, enjoyed writing and continue to write. And so my musical career started when I was, I guess, uh, not till 18, 19 years old. Wow. Okay. I have more questions about that, but real quick, can you just give a elevator pitch or description of what slapping glass is maybe a bit about how you came to start it and then what you're up to now? I know it's, it's, you do a lot of things with it, but how would you describe slapping glass today? So Slapping Glass is the platform that myself and my great friend Patrick Carney started back in the summer of 2020, and it's kind of a multi-pronged platform. We have a podcast, Slapping Glass Podcast, which I'm sure you might get into. Um, we put out daily you know, deep dive videos. It's meant for the kind of tactical X and O nerd. Um, and so we put out mm-hmm. daily videos on Twitter and then we have a, every Sunday we have a kind of a deep dive Sunday morning newsletter. And then 
Uh, last year, we also started Slapping Glass Plus, which is a, a membership part of what we do. And so we have 450, almost getting close to 500 or, of our videos that's available in like a Netflix style account. Um, we have a private community. Uh, we do, uh, we have the ability, we did one in the fall, our first uh, Jeff Van Gundy uh, coaching master group sessions with, with Jeff. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. That's the quick elevator pitch, but um, it is a place where if you're a, a basketball nerd like I am and like Pat and I are, um, it's a fun place to be. Yeah, and I, I've told you this off air, but for my listeners, it's an awesome podcast and I've been really enjoying listening to the episodes. And so, yeah, congratulations on the success with it. And um, the whole platform is amazing. There's a lot to get to here, but first, just out of my own curiosity, I have to ask some questions about this. So sure. you're an assistant, assistant basketball coach at, a, at the college level. You're a touring musician with who puts out albums regularly and writes your own music. You're a successful podcaster. You teach at the university and you're putting out these daily clips, which are I can imagine are not a walk in the park to put together, plus a newsletter, <laughs> yeah. which your newsletters are incredibly detailed and like there's a lot of stuff going into them. So I, I just I'm wondering how you can possibly do all of that and stay sane <laughs> and figure out your priorities. So like what does First of all, are you doing all that yourself? I know you have a co-host on the podcast, but is that an accurate description of everything you're up to? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, I sleep, try to sleep somewhere in the middle there too. But <laughs> I think that, so as far as the slapping glass stuff is concerned, so the podcast, the newsletter, the videos, the membership, all that. So I run that you know, 50-50 with, um, with my partner, Patrick Carney. So the two of us together are what make up the slapping mm-hmm. glass stuff. And so, you know, we share and have different responsibilities within all that that we do. So uh, we're working together uh, hand in hand on all that content. Um, and then as far as the teaching and the coaching and the music, yes, that's that's all on me there. Um, you know, when you read it out like that, it sounds like a lot. I mean, I, it is, I guess, a lot, but I've always looked at it in, um, there's sort of these different seasons where you know, as a college coach, there's obviously six, seven months during the season where it's, you know, that's your life. Um, but then off season is where I'm able to do a lot more of my touring and, you know, playing out and doing all that with the band and whatnot. So um, they really kind of balance each other. Um, mm. I've always enjoyed music during the season as far as, you know, in the middle of the season, a way to kind of get a sense of uh, mindfulness and get away from the game and you know, going and playing and working on a song or meeting up with my band and working through some stuff for a couple hours on an off night is kind of refreshing during the season. So um, I've been able over the years to kind of figure out a balance between them. It's a struggle and it's a, you know, you can ask my wife if I have a good balance. I'm not sure if I do or do not, but over the years you kind of figure out how you can or can't do certain things to keep your energy and to stay committed to the most important things and like the most important things during the season are our guys, the team, those sorts of things. But then the off season, I'm able to do some of these other things with more energy. Yeah. So what, what does a, a typical weekday look like in your life? Let's say in season where you're maybe working. I I remember being a, a graduate assistant and 
I know how hard the assistants work with everything that goes on with, you know, uh, scouting, practice plans, travel, uniforms, you know, there's so many things to do. And then you're also running this awesome platform. I'm just curious how, what a typical day might look like and how you chunk your time and stay focused on everything you need to accomplish. Yeah, it's a good question. It differs a little by the day, you know, and by, um, the time of the season as far as where we're at, but typically uh, I'm an, I try to be an early riser. So I typically carve out an hour or two early in the morning for some of the slapping glass stuff, whether it be editing, recording the podcast, uh, working on a video, you know, chunking away at the newsletter, um, mm-hmm. you know, sometime early in the morning. And then after that's done, I'll then, you know, head up to Chapman, get into the film for whatever we need to do for practice. Um, you know, meet with the coaches, have practice. And then after practice is usually some sort of recruiting or going and seeing a game or something. And then when I'm back at night, I like to, you know, kind of end the night by going back to some slapping glass stuff, whether it be editing a little bit, writing a little bit, watching more film, um, mm-hmm. they all kind of connect together. So it's uh, early mornings and, and late nights at times. So there's no one else to yeah. do it though. So it's got to get done. <laughs> right. Right. And do you have any structure in place to guard any time for leisure or time with your wife? I'm curious how you balance non-work time. That's something that I've been thinking about is like a, a, what are you going to call it? A resolution for this year is to, sure. I, I tend to, I don't think I'm juggling, juggling as many things as you are, but I tend to, I really like to work and I can work all day long. And yeah. then sometimes I feel like I, I haven't spent enough time just kind of being and not trying to be productive all the time. Do you ever go through that struggle as well? I'm curious. And then how do you try to make time for leisure activities or just relaxing? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And that's an everyday thought from myself as far as, yeah, how are you? finding times to decompress and not always be working on something. And what is difficult is that all the things I do, I love. And so it's not work to me. It's, I love watching European film. I love writing about the game. I love talking to other coaches, but at the same time, yes, you do have to, you know, figure out time for your wife and for your family. And so, you know, I try to do things. um, There is something that I've held and it's a habit that I got, in over the course of the the pandemic and we were locked down a little bit more um trying to get up really early and before i do anything with slap the glass or anything like that um i either go for a a walk or a run and Mm. i'm lucky to live in a a area where i'm kind of close to some the water and the beach and so being able to get out listen to a podcast listen to music um at least for a good half an hour or so outside it's something that's really important to me and kind of balances me before I get into whatever I'm going to do for the day. And so that's something that I've tried to do. It's important to me too, that after a win or a loss, um, I try to take the rest of that night to relax and, you know, not get right back into the film or not Hmm. keep stressing about that game, but to have the night to either enjoy it or not feel great about it, but, you know, (laughs) go out to dinner with my wife after the game, enjoy the dinner, you know, do something with the family and, you know, the film I'll get to in the morning or we'll get to it the next day. So it's definitely more challenging during the middle of the season for sure to balance and to find time. But I think that 
you know, when you look day to day and look at your schedule, it is important to look at it and say, okay, what can I maybe do this upcoming Saturday or Sunday? Can we go out to breakfast, my wife and I, or my mom, you know, my parents or whatever, and, and build that in because you're right. It is important. And for someone like myself, that's got multiple things of juggling, it's easy enough to fall into just continuing to, <laughs> to work 24 seven on stuff. And, um, that usually doesn't lead down good paths if you go at it too long. Yeah, definitely. And that, that could be kind of a blessing and a curse probably to really love your work. I, I, I prefer that to kind of drumming, droning away in a cubicle, just waiting for the weekend kind of lifestyle. Um, but yeah, I feel similarly in the stuff that I do outside of my job job, which I really enjoy a lot, but I can find myself just eating up an entire weekend and then, oh, oh my God, it's already Monday and all I've done is edit or record or write or sure (laughs) yeah that's interesting yeah i think balance is an interesting subject because i think as coaches uh, like i'm speaking from a coach now when you're doing something like coaching or basketball or something that you really love you know balance is interesting you want to work at it you love it you're passionate about it and you know i think doing things that you're passionate about breathes life into other parts of your life as well and so though you might not balance, say, your time perfectly all the time with what you work on, if you're pursuing things you're passionate about and you understand when you need to you know, take a break or whatnot, then um, it's really hard to, to be the perfect balanced person with everything, not just in my life, but just what everybody has. You know, We all have these certain things that we are more drawn towards. And so it's an interesting point, it's an interesting question. Taking a quick break from the conversation to thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying it, and I encourage you to reach out to me if you have any comments or feedback or suggestions, or if you just want to connect. You can reach me at Billy Hanson, or sorry, you can reach me at contact at BillyHanson.net. My new book is now available. The book is called Harder Than I Thought, Easier Than I Feared, with a subtitle Sports, Anxiety, and the Power of Meditation. And I think the book is a perfect resource for an athlete who's going through a difficult time, maybe an athlete who's struggling with their confidence or suffering from performance anxiety and might need a new perspective or a relatable story that might help them out of their tough days. The book is about my own experience dealing with mental challenges at the college level, feeling like I wanted to quit, feeling guilty that I wasn't living up to my scholarship really having having fallen out of love with the game of basketball. And then through the practice of meditation and discovering a more defined role in a new culture and improving some other daily habits around my life and my game, I slowly recovered. So the book is about how meditation can blend with a successful athletic career and set up an athlete for a well-lived life after sports. And I think it will also be of interest to coaches and parents who want to learn more about the modern athletic experience from the player's perspective. So if you're interested in the book, you should head over to billyhanson.net forward slash book to pick up a copy or find a link in the show notes. Other ways to support the show is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and just to share the podcast with people who you think might like it. And the best way to stay in contact with me is to subscribe to my newsletter, which you can find at billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. 
And now back to my conversation with Dan Kerkorian. I'm curious about the class or classes that you teach at the university. Could you describe if there's multiple classes, what they are, or if it's one class, what that is and what the subject matter is? Yeah. So I teach two different courses at Chapman University and they both are in the uh, leadership minor at Chapman. So one is called um, uh, Sport and Society. And these are both leadership classes. So Sport and Society. And then the other one is um, Ethical Controversy and Sports and Society. And so both of them take an overall look at how sports sits within our society, the good, the bad, the ugly. And we have the the twist of leadership within it. So we take a good look at, you know, leadership situations, um, the decisions that were made, whether they're right, wrong, or what they would have done. And I love teaching them. Uh, Both classes are ones that I actually created myself. Um, I was lucky to work with the heads of the department after I got my master's in that department and come up with those courses. And I love it. Some of the favorite things I get to do on a weekly basis is go to those classes um, and learn from the kids and have good discussions about all types of topics that touch our society. And so, yeah, that's another kind of facet of, I guess, the things that I'm doing on a weekly basis, but they're really important to me and uh, I learn a lot from them. Yeah. So what's an example of a subject that you teach within one of the class, let's say sports and society. Like, is there a subject that you've come back to multiple times that you like to teach? Sure. And this is a subject I know will be, you know, something um, you're interested too, but a bunch on mental health and society mm-hmm. and athletes and the role that you know, certain athletes play and bring it to the forefront, how athletes handle it, how the media handles it. It's on the top of the minds of a lot of young people, uh, as you know, and that is a subject that's come up. And so we look at, you know, instances, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, current events and things like that and kind of dive into it. And, you know, that's one subject that's come up quite a bit uh, over the course of the last couple of years. And, you know, I can kind of go on and on, but we look at social class, we look at race, we look at gender, we look at all sorts of things where, um, you know, it, I find it's easier for young adults to talk about difficult issues when it's viewed through the lens of sports you know if you go into a room of 25 to 30 you know 18 to 22 year olds and say hey let's talk about race today uh go ahead and go Uh, everybody kind (laughs) of clams up and and it's 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 hard it's a difficult conversation it's not easy but when you look at it through the lens of, of sports and look at certain current events and there's a little bit of uh, an ease getting into those things and i think there's a lot of growth that happens through that for for young people and i enjoy that part of it nice yeah that's great and are most of your students in those classes athletes you know they're actually not which is i love it some are Hmm. i definitely have you know there's chapman we have 25 to 30 in a class plus or minus so um i'd say i've got you know five to 10 may be in a sport at Chapman, but for the most part, they're not, which I really enjoy too. Uh, So you get different viewpoints. It's not all just athletes talking about sports. It's people from all different walks of life in there. Nice. Nice. And so would an example of like, did you go over the Simone Biles incident? Was that something that came up in one of your classes? We did. Yeah, we did. That was something that came up and that was, uh, it was a good 
class is actually so one of the final presentations in our class the kids have to come up with their own podcast based mm -hmm. around a current event and they, they record a podcast and talk about it and and one of the groups did it on mental health and whatnot and Simone Biles' situation came up and we definitely went through that okay and is that something that you've that in your program at Chapman you are making space for it all or thinking about the mental health of the athletes and or the mental side of the game in general is there anything that you do within the team or the program to address or encourage that kind of reflection or any mental work that you do how do you think about that within your team well i think about it all the time i think mm -hmm. about it every time i walk into the gym because i think that that's i think that's one of the most important if not you know the most important job of a coach is to feel the room feel where your players are at um feel out you know where they're at in their lives i i think about it all the time and we don't do a ton of um necessarily check-in stuff from a, an overall team standpoint at this point but we're always kind of checking in with them i find it best to just I love to shoot with our guys before and after practice. We have, you know, different shooting games and things like that. And I think that that's my way of being able to check in with them, you know, see how they're doing in class, talk about, you know, Bitcoin, talk about <laughs> all these things that these guys are interested in. And I think that that's, you know, my way of trying to see how they are from an emotional standpoint. Um, and then, you know, things can go further from there. That's one way, you know, I've definitely had, longer sit downs with athletes who are potentially struggling or, or whatnot. Um, so those are things just personally I do. I know other coaches on the staff do as well. And yeah. it's been particularly important in the last year and a half as we're, you know, trying to play a season through the COVID situation and the stops and the starts and these guys trying to have a normal season and trying to play out. It's, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot for everybody. It's a lot for young athletes trying to compete and stay healthy both physically and mentally. So yeah, we're definitely there and checking in with that. That's cool. Nice. So I want to talk a bit about your music. So you sure. have a, you have a band that you record with and practice with and they are on your albums. I do. So I have a, I have a seven piece band that. Wow. I've played with for a while. It's been a, a little while since we've been able to play, obviously, like most people. But yeah, I've got seven in the band. You know, when I tour, I don't always take all of them. Um, a lot of times if I tour in Europe, I'll go solo. But as far as the albums, yeah, I've had a mixture of the whole band on the albums or I've used studio musicians and kind of all over the map with this, the albums per se, but yeah, I've got a band that's been great and loyal for a long time throughout all this process. And, um, yeah, that's a, that's a fun other team aspect, I guess, that I'm a part of. Cool. And so like when you tour and you just said, sometimes you'll just go yourself, does that mean stripping down the music to just be you and a guitar being able to sing? Yep. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Is that, yeah, go ahead. So my music, if you were to, you know, give it a, an elevator pitch, it's, you know, folk pop rock 
you know, like uh, John Mayer meets the Lumineers uh, for anybody who listens to those. Kind of, so it can be a full band thing, but then very much it can be a, a solo performer type of situation. So, you know, I got my start playing solo for, you know, a first year or two and then add another guitarist and then met someone else and that whole thing. So I'm very comfortable playing solo and, um, you know, going to Europe is a big deal. And so it's a little easier and whatnot from all standpoints at this point to go solo or, you know, but just someone else and, uh, and play that way. Nice. Yeah. And I listened to your newest album, Grandeur, which is really impressive. It's, it's really, Thank you. it's great. Yeah. I, um, how would you describe that album generally, if you were to talk about the themes or how you think about the album at this point? Yeah, that was, uh, man, it's funny. Uh, I, it's been a little while since I've, I've thought about that album. Um, mm. When I've finished something, I kind of move on to the Leave next. Along. And so, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah. not in a bad way, I, I'm interested in talking about it. But yeah, that was an album a lot about, you know, it was a long album, it was 16 songs. And I worked on it for a number of years. I released five albums in like, gosh, uh, seven years. Or I, I released a lot kind of in a row. And then I took my time with Grandeur in between that one and the one before Bloom. And I was really exploring a, a bigger sound. I was exploring, you know, sort of the ups and downs of, of life and finding the grandeur in small moments and finding ways to, you know, get through tough times, get through that, you know, kind of middle part of your life where you're figuring out what your, what your life's all about. And the musical part of it was a lot of fun. There's songs that are stripped down, very acoustic piano. And then there's songs that are very big and, you know, bluesy and, you know, horns and all sorts of stuff. And so, yeah, I wanted the album to reflect, I guess, where I was at personally, which was a little bit of everywhere and a little bit of both. And um, yeah, from, from what I remember, that's what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have um, do you have a favorite song or a few favorite songs from that album? Gosh, it's. I know it's a cliche, but songs are like, you know, someone asks who's your favorite child type of thing, um, <laughs> which I, I don't have one yet. Well, I have one on the way here after the oh, season. Congratulations. But, wow. but thank you. So, you know, um, there is a song that's, you know, if someone was going to go listen, I wrote a song for my wife called Lila on that album that, mm. um, you know, I think it sums up a lot of what the album is about. And I actually the title of the album comes from that song. Uh, we drove the night to see the grandeur of morning. And that's a line from that song. And that's where the album comes from. And so really enjoy that song. It's fun to play live. It's fun to play acoustically as well as with the full band. So nice. if you're looking for a starting point, you can, uh, you can go the there. Okay. I have to say my favorites off. I, it's just one listen, but I listened to my walk this morning. I really like bloom and, um, all right, just super pretty. And uh, is it pronounced Yulanga? Yeah, Yulanga. So thank you. I, you know, I, I love both those songs as well. Um, Yulanga is probably my favorite or one of my top three or four to play live with the full seven piece band because mm. it gets very big and rocked out. And we, we do these kind of long, um, fun solo sections. And that's a song, uh, if there's anybody listening that's ever seen the movie or read the book, The African Queen there's it's an old it's an old movie with um uh, humphrey bogart and katherine hepburn if i'm getting it right 
and it's uh it's a story about them um floating down this river in africa during wartime and mm. they're two sep two very different people kind of hate each other in the beginning and then they end up falling in love by the end as they're kind of going down this treacherous river in africa the name of the river is ulonga and so okay. uh, yeah the song's a little bit of a metaphor for for that stuff line but it was something like this river is going to be our home uh, yeah is that is that a line from the movie then that's not a line from the movie um but that is a metaphor a little bit of you know um thinking about you know life and the people you're on sort of whatever river you're on um you make it your home you make the best of it mm, interesting yeah it's really impressive like yeah it was i, I really enjoyed the album i feel like my mom would love like, that, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of that's her like genre so I'm going to send her some songs. She'll, she'll listen to this podcast. So mom, I'll, I'll send you some tracks here. <laughs> I appreciate it. Hello, Billy's mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it, it's really impressive. I'm curious about your your songwriting process. When do you make time to write songs and what does it look like when you're actually writing? Yeah, I'm always writing. Like, so, you know, the process is interesting I've never been good at just sitting down in front of a blank page and writing a song. What, mm. what I've always been better at is I'm a, I've got notes. I've got like, um, no cards or um, sticky notes in my office. I've got them in my notebook. I've got them everywhere. And I prefer to write ideas on sticky notes everywhere. Um, and I find that less daunting as a writer. And I find it easier if I have a quick idea to write something down three or four words, maybe a line, maybe half of a line, uh, and then go back to it later when I sit with the guitar. And so um, I've got, I mean, I'm looking at my desk right now. I've got <laughs> too many sticky notes. I should probably clean up a little bit. Um, but I use that actually for slapping glass as well. When I have an idea about something, uh, I just find that easier for my mind. And then um, generally what I do is I, I love just sitting down with a guitar and, and, you know, thinking about melodies, I think that melodies are really important in writing songs, and that's what people remember. And then once I have a feel like a strong melody and a hook, uh, then you start thinking about themes and metaphors and looking back at all those sticky notes you have and seeing, hey, does that line work? Or hey, maybe this works a little bit better. And some songs write themselves. I don't say write themselves. They're, you know, written in not too much time. Other songs have taken years. I've still got songs I'm working on now that I started five, ten years ago and I like but aren't done yet. So sometimes it takes a little bit of life passing 
for you to write the song. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's songs that I'm thinking about on grandeur, like Yolonga for one, Mm. you know, I started that song about five, six years before it ever came out on grandeur, but I couldn't finish the lyrics on it because I just don't think I had lived enough of the song in my own life to be able to accurately write about it. Um, And so, you know, you can't force art. It kind of (laughs) comes out when it wants to. And so um, that's an example, that song that took forever to write, but I'm, I'm glad it did because I think the end product was something I'm, I'm happy with. Yeah. And do you see any, any relationship between the creativity in your, in your art and your music and the work that you do on the basketball court? I'm curious if there's any relationship between, I don't know, thinking of a, a cool out of bounds yeah. play or coverage or some kind of set or some kind of creativity on the basketball court. Do you see any relationship between those two crafts that you've been working on for so long? Absolutely. I don't see any difference. You know, it's funny because, you know, on the surface, when you say, hey, this guy's a college basketball coach and a singer-songwriter, <laughs> on the surface, they look very different worlds. And trust me, I've been around enough musicians <laughs> to know that they're very different than your average college <laughs> basketball coach. <laughs> but for myself... I don't, I I think about songs and I think about basketball in almost the exact same way, you know, Mm. in the beginning of a season, you have an idea for, let's just say a type of set or an offense you want to run and you put it out there and okay, first day guys kind of don't quite get it. Uh, Maybe instead of a pin down, it should be a flare. Okay. You try that. How they guard. Okay. Maybe I'll switch that. Maybe this guy should be here and you just tweak and you just, you know, then you look at other stuff and you say, well, what does this team do? Okay, well, maybe I can add that or maybe we can do this. And by the time you get to the middle of the season, you've worked and reworked that set and that play over and over until the point where it, it works. It's it's good. It's a go-to play. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with music. You have an idea for a song. You strum some chords together and that's your bass. And you say, okay, that that sounds pretty good. But then you look at and listen to some song by you know, John Mayer, for instance, and you say, right, what was that note that he just put there? And you, you go look it up and say, oh, that's a cool note. Maybe I can add that here. And you just keep chunking away. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a little bit of something of a song. And so for me, my mind works exactly the same. I, I don't really turn one thing on or off. And the other thing that's the same is, like I kind of mentioned, I, I'm always writing. I'm also always thinking about, you know, basketball, obviously, when you look at the things I do. But a lot of times the best ideas and the things that, you know, work are when I'm not actively trying to think about it. You know, like a song idea comes when I'm just out for a walk or a run in the morning. Or, you know, I could be coaching basketball and I'm not even thinking about writing song, but then a, a lyric <laughs> pops into my head and I got to go run. I got to you know, during a water break, I jot it down on my practice plan. So I don't forget it, you know, but like when your mind is kind of free to roam, it's when it can make connections kind of in the background and you're not even really realizing it. So, yeah. so it's a great question, Billy. It is because I think about it all the time and um, I don't think there's a, a difference though. The output is very different. I acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. How about difficult times in either music or basketball and basketball it might be a losing streak or a tough time around mm-hmm. the team when you know i've been there as a player and a coach 
when you're not winning or when you've put a ton of work in and given your best efforts and you come up short for a few games in a row or if the team is just in a funk and not playing hard or not playing well. And then I could imagine on the music side, if you hit something where the songs you're trying aren't working or you feel like you've wasted time on this, that it didn't end up working out or you have some kind of writer's block phenomenon or something. I'm curious how you think about tough stretches and if there's anything that you consciously end up doing to resolve them or address them or to endure them. How do you think about going through difficult times in either basketball or music? Yeah, no, really good question, Billy. I, I think hard times are kind of a gift in a sense. Now, mm. <laughs> they're not at the moment, right? You, you know, nobody enjoys them at the time, but going through a difficult losing streak or, you know, a writer's block or even, you know, personal difficult times, um, you know, it forces you to change. It forces mm -hmm. you to, to work on things. It forces you to get better. And whether it's on the basketball court, whether it's writing songs, whether it's personally, whether it's whatever it is, um, I've gotten better as I've gotten older at looking at them as, sort of life giving me a, a gift of the challenge. And that sounds kind of cliche, but it's something that's helped me, you know, instead of woe is me, why is this happening to me? Why is this person more successful? Hey, why is this song other? It's hmm. just, uh, you look at it as an opportunity to get better. You know, if you're in any industry long enough, I mean, struggles are inevitable. No, I don't, I don't think anybody's just started a career and just been a complete upward right trajectory the whole time um i think mm -hmm. they'd be lying if they said they were you know everybody's gone through the roller coasters of up and downs i think that you know the people that i respect and the people that i try to emulate in my life and in my career are the ones that you know it doesn't really matter if you won or lost last night what matters is what you do the next day it doesn't matter if the show was sold out or there's three people you played your ass off for those three people and you got up the next day and you played the show again and mm -hmm. I think that that's something that by, by no means mastered because I'm, you know, you have the human emotions and you want to win. You want to have the sold out show. You want to write the best songs in the world. But like, I've tried to come to appreciate that what I do with my life is, is more meaningful than the outcome at times. Right. The fact that I get a chance to go coach 18 to 22 year old men every day, is unbelievable that I get paid to do that. Whether we win or lose, sure, I want to win. Nobody, nobody wants to lose. But that's an unbelievable experience that I get to do. You know, the fact that I get to play with seven people and play the music I've written and love, and that you know, hopefully affects people. That's it's unbelievable. And success is something that's hard to predict. It's something that kind of comes over time. On you know, when you're not really sure it's even going to be there ever. Um, and so to circle back to your question, I've gotten a little better over the years, um, but trying to look at the difficult times is something that I can build off of. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. I'm curious. Cause now you've, you've had great success. Or I'm sure it's still growing. You know, the, the slapping glass podcast, amazing guests, you're putting out great content and it's really cool to, to see, and I really, I'm a fan. I'm enjoying listening to them. I'm. Thank you. You so said you had a, a podcast before that. 
did you go through a period where you were putting your heart and soul into it and people weren't listening? Or has that happened with your music at times? I'm curious how you think about persisting in something that you care about and it's not quite gaining the traction that you might want it to. Or do you not even look at that stuff? Do you just put it out and see what happens? I'm curious how you think about, because you're in the music space, you're on Spotify, you're in the podcasting game, and I've now gotten into the podcasting game too. How do you think about your work in relationship to metrics and trying to tune up engagement and all these things? Like, what, what is your current philosophy or ideas on on that space, on that dynamic? Yeah. Hey, it's really hard to not look at metrics and kind of measure some type of success off of how many people listen or how many downloads or how many people are at the show. Like that, I just think that's human nature. And yeah. so in reference to your question about um, my first podcast, Beautiful Org Podcast, um, I, I more or less had to stop that because Slapping Glass took off and I just had to I had to ride that wave. So it wasn't anything where it was necessarily unsuccessful or didn't have downloads or people weren't listening. But um, fortunately, the success of the Slapping Glass podcast, I just needed to I needed to follow that flow. Um, and I am I don't know if I'll go back to the Beautiful Work podcast. I did, I think, almost 50 episodes and I was able to interview gosh, just amazing guests from all different walks of life. And I, I put my heart and soul into it. And the thing I loved about that is I got my 10,000 hours learning how to uh, host, how to edit, how to promote a podcast so that when I started slapping glass with Pat, I had already, I had already done it. I had, I, I was ready, you know, him and I to jump in and, and do that. So I'm, I'm thankful for that experience. Um, you know, by a metric standpoint, um, you know, slapping glasses is, is much farther along than beautiful work podcast was, which I'm really thankful for. Um, but I don't like look at beautiful work as any less successful because I loved it. And I had the best episodes or the, you know, interviews that I could do and all that. And it kind of led to what we do with slapping glass. And so I'm thankful for that in a way. Um, same thing with music. I for sure have played to next to nobody. And I played for next to nobody in some town when I'm on tour where I'm staying in a hotel and I get to the show and, you know, there's five people there and one of them's a bartender or one of them's a bouncer, you know, and <laughs> you're, but, you know, you just, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a, uh, a character flaw of mine that I just sort of push through, <laughs> you know, like, it's not like I don't feel it. It's not like it's not. I wouldn't say humiliating, but like, sure, everybody wants to have more, but um, you just persist. I, you know, there's no like checklist of stuff to do or, hey, I did this, I did that. I just, I don't know. I just played the heck out of the show. I remember a Bob Dylan quote about doesn't matter how many people in the room, but if you can connect with one person that night, hmm. that shows a success. And, you know, Easier said than done. I'll tell you that. I'm not, I'm not lying. I've played some great shows in front of like some sold out, you know, big, big, odd. I'll tell, I'll take those for sure. But, um, but the other ones, yeah. uh, build character. Yeah. I want to, we're jumping all over the place here, but that's okay. I want to backtrack a little bit. You mentioned something in one of your responses, the people that I respect, I'm, I'm wondering, and you want like, you like to emulate, emulate them in some way. Are there people in your life either now or growing up 
whether it be coaches or influences or family or whatever it is that have made an outstanding impact you on you that you kind of look up to as some kind of model for kind of sure. who you want to be in the world? You know, um, I mean, I've got idols as, you know, coaching idols and some of them I've had a chance to interview this past year, which is, which is sort of a pinch me moment. Um, same thing with music, but I'd have to start with my dad. I mean, when you talk about someone who's resilient and gets up and, and does his job and, um, you know, I, I, I guess I have to start there because that's someone I'm always trying to emulate because, you know, my, my dad lost his dad when he was a young kid and he never sort of used that as a crutch to, you know, do anything other than just, you know, be great to us. Um, always coached my basketball teams and little league baseball teams and things like that. And was just uh, such a, uh, central figure in my life from a man's perspective. And then I, my mom, the same thing. It's like the two of them were just, uh, the rocks. And so though I can name plenty of coaches and, and musicians and things like that, that I look up to, I just don't think I can answer that without talking about those two first. Nice. And how long did your dad coach you for? Like to what age did he, was he coaching your teams? So yeah, yeah, he was, gosh, good question. I mean, I think probably till I was, you know, 11 or 12 in soccer, uh, T-ball, baseball, and then baseball. And then um, my grandpa actually coached me in basketball, which was really cool. That's kind of how I got my basketball start. He coached me when he was, uh, when I was a second and third grader. So, yeah. And then once I got, you know, a little older, obviously, then he, he left it to someone else. And were your parents athletes? They were. So my dad was, uh, he played football at the college level so he played um junior college football for two years um in high school he played baseball and football and then my mom was actually a very good uh basketball player in high school as well and she actually cheers so she was like a cheer slash uh, basketball player and so yeah i i came from an athletic background as far as my, my two parents and were your siblings did you have any siblings who had success in sports or were into it as you were yeah all of them so i'm the oldest of four I played basketball in college. My sister right below me played soccer in college. My brother wow. played football in college. And my youngest sister was a gymnast at uh, University of Maryland. Wow. That's quite, quite the success story with your siblings. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. They, wow. Yeah. They, they were great. I think, you know, don't tell my brothers and sisters, but I think they got more athletic as we went on. So I was probably the least athletic. And then my sister was a little better than me and my brother was better. And then my, my youngest was a, <laughs> a great athlete. She got a, a full ride to Maryland. Wow. For, uh, gymnastics. Very cool. Okay. I've got a question here that I don't want to forget to get to. So the, the feeling of going out to play in a big game compared to the feeling of going out in front of a big crowd, I guess this would be different. It'd be a different kind of challenge going out in front of a small crowd. Um, but let's talk about big crowd. You're maybe you've got some butterflies. You're trying to do a good job versus mm -hmm. a packed house maybe in high school, I don't know which crowds are better, high school or college. Do you think that, well, first, uh, two questions. First, are those feelings similar of pre-performance, jitters, butterflies, preparation? And second, do you think your experience playing in big games helped you prepare to perform on the stage? God, it's a great question. So yes, they're similar. 
it's interesting because I've thought about this a lot where, you know, when you're sitting in the locker room five minutes before a big game versus when you're kind of off stage five minutes before a big show. Yeah. The nerves are there. The similarities come in, you know, once you strike that first chord on stage with the band or once that ball is tipped, you kind of go into this other mode where, you know, you remember you're a player, like the nerves sort of go away once you start playing because then you're just in the flow and you're just doing your thing. So um, they are similar. It's interesting though, because I've tried to describe, and you know, it's funny, my wife and I've talked a lot about this coming home after a big win in basketball is very similar to me in the sense, as far as also from like a big show, there's sort of this like cathartic emotional experience that you go through. Right. I mean, you're a player, you, you get a big road win in the locker room and the bus ride home. And there's this real sense of accomplishment from a team perspective. And it really is a, you know, you're kind of on a high, same thing with a big show. Um, when things go well and the crowd loves it and you know, all that sort of stuff and you're going home and it's almost hard to sleep because you're kind of, yeah. you still feel a little bit electric in both senses. Um, there definitely is a different though difference in, I'm trying to accurately describe this, you know, music is such an emotional experience and singing your songs that you've written for hundreds of more people is an odd experience in itself. You know, like to, to sing something and have people like it and connect with it is a very, it's a very cool experience, you know, to have people after a show come up and say they've connected with the song or it meant something to them. Um, I, I do really enjoy that. Um, but at the same time too, I also love a little bit more from the basketball side when you win a big game, it's very accomplished sense of like a team. We did this together. Um, and I love that as well. So I guess what I'm saying is there, there's similarities and there's differences and the nerves are definitely uh, the same and the sort of high that you can feel after the good win or a good show are the same, um, but slightly different, I guess, in how I feel about sharing songs versus winning a game. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, jumping around again here, what, what, um, what, okay. what is your, what it's is like your my favorite? life? It's, it's, it's this type of podcast I should be on. Yeah. But what, what, um, What's your, like, I know coaches have different favorite parts about coaching. Some people love nerding out on scouts. Some people love on-court training. Some people love, you know, just being around the guys on a bus trip. Like, what do you think your, what's the most rewarding aspect of your current job as a coach? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm an X and O nerd. I, I love, I love the strategy. I love that stuff, but mm-hmm. There, there's nothing that compares to just the connections you have with people from coaching, you know, to, to go through the ups and downs of the season and to, to grow with a group of guys. It, it, it's, there's nothing else like it, you know? Uh, and that is my favorite part. It's, it's amazing to be on a team. It's amazing to have something to strive for as a group. And it really is unique like it really is to have that experience every year. And I'm, I mentioned earlier how thankful I am about it, but like at the end of a season to just 
have that connection with people that lasts forever, right? I mean, like I said, you played, you know, like those things last a long, those far longer than the last game of the season. And I just love it. I just love being a part of a team. I just love, you know, going to to battle with the group of guys that you believe in and that believe in you. And uh, it's a special experience. And so, you know, if anybody's listening to this that looks at all we do is slapping glass. I mean, I obviously am a an X and O tactical nerd and I, I love that part of the game. I thoroughly thoroughly do. But the reason I do this is because it's just there's nothing like it. And I just, you know, can't get enough of it. Even after a loss. <laughs> Even, yeah. 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 Um yeah, that's that's really great. I'm wondering, let's say somebody's listening to this and they hear all the things that you're up to. It seems like you're very good at, you know, pursuing things, being productive, getting things done, and you know, getting finishing finished products into the world. I don't think that's an easy task for many people, and I sometimes struggle with it too. So, a question for myself and for maybe some people who are listening: Do you have any advice or tips that come to mind for someone who might? be thinking about some kind of creative project, but might be procrastinating or maybe bouncing around between projects and not putting anything to the finish line or thinks that they could, they want to do something different than just their whatever nine to five job. And they have some kind of dream, but they haven't gotten started yet. I'm just curious if anything comes to mind first about that, any advice you have for somebody who wants to, have some kind of creative project in the works, but hasn't been able to really make it happen yet? Yeah, good, good question. And though I do have a lot of you know, things out in the world, it doesn't mean that I don't also struggle with that too, about putting myself out there and putting creative projects out there. And mm-hmm. it is hard right? It's hard to do a podcast and put it out there for people to listen to. And, and like, you know, you're doing a great job. It's, it's, a, it's difficult to start it. I think though that, you know, the first step in anything is the most difficult, right? The first thing you put out is the hardest because, you know, it's new and, and you could fail and people might not like it. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's also something that you know, you're not going to be perfect on your first podcast or the first video or the first song. Like, it's just not how it works. And um, I think for me, you know, who's someone that it did take a while for me to put out my first song and play in front of people. I'm, I would not consider myself a naturally, like, I don't, I still don't love being on stage. Like it's not, I, I I like performing and it's fun and and I can, I, I do it, but it's not like I'm, thirsty for that kind of uh, experience all the time. But for people that are just, you know, maybe holding back, what's the worst thing that could happen, <laughs> right? I, I guess I always go back to that, like, okay, so I put a song out, nobody likes it. So what? The world keeps mm-hmm. spinning, your world keeps spinning, and you learn from it and you do the next one. And that's not to say you put out something you don't believe in, but yeah, perfection can be your enemy too, if it's just something where it holds you back. And so I think that if people that have creative pursuits, 
I think that fear of putting something out and having no one listen to it is real. And I've had that happen. I still have that happen. Like it, but I don't know. I wake up the next day, I have breakfast and the world keeps spinning and you move on to the next one. And I think people don't, things don't last as long as you think. A mistake is not forever. A mistake is just a learning tool for the next thing. And so I think that, you know, to wrap up your question here, I would be diligent about the things I put out. I would think about it. I would work hard on it, but I would not let the fear of failure or fear of not getting the result that I want hold me back because, um, you know, ultimately those that succeed are the ones that put themselves out there, you know, first and foremost. Yeah. Well, that's a, I think that's a great place to close this. Dan, I really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you, bouncing around all kinds of different topics. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on the podcast and on the child that's coming soon and on the great season that you're going through right now. So yeah, it's been really great to listen to your podcast and now getting the opportunity to talk to you on a podcast has been really cool. So thank you. Well, Billy, before we close, I just want to say thanks to you. Um, you're doing a great job with this. As someone that you know hosts their own podcast, I know how hard it is to prepare and get all of these <laughs> things ready. And you know, great questions that are thought provoking that um, I enjoy talking to you about. And I know you've got other great projects that are coming out that um, we're gonna explore on Slapping Glass. So I'm looking forward to that and enjoy being on your show. So thank you very much for the time and for the platform. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Have a good night. You too. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Just a reminder that my new book is available. The book is called Harder Than I Thought, Easier Than I Feared, Sports, Anxiety, and the Power of Meditation. And the book is the perfect resource for a struggling athlete, an athlete who's lost their confidence or is no longer enjoying the sport they play, or for any athlete who wants to make the most of their athletic experience while also setting themselves up for a good life after sports. And I think the book will be of interest to coaches and parents and fans as well. So you can find a link to the book in the show notes for this episode, or you can visit billyhanson.net forward slash book to pick up a copy. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you here for the next episode. sauce.